Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. All right, welcome everybody to episode 117. And uh, this episode is a recording of the Buying Without Banks group that I lead, and I go over the entire process of how to speak to private lenders and really words to use, how to structure the meeting so that you are more successful with that. So a lot of great information. I know you'll appreciate it. Definitely, if you have questions afterwards, feel free to reach out to me, chad at truewealthinvestors.com. Okay. So we are talking about how to talk to private lenders and, you know, buying without banks. So I don't I don't believe that financing should be something that limits anybody in their real estate investing. There are enough people out there who want to get involved in real estate. It is such a sexy, exciting uh, topic that, that uh, people want to get involved. And when we put deals together and include other people, they will be really excited to be allowed to be in your deals. That's going to be that's like a big perspective shift. You're not necessarily asking them to be in your deals. You're giving them the opportunity. All right. So, and just for super simplicity's sake, if in any real estate transaction, what we're used to is where the buyer gets a loan from the bank, from a bank, and that bank gives the money to the seller, and then the buyer gets to keep the house or the property and pay the bank the money back, pay that loan. Well, with private lending, it's the exact same process, except that the money comes from a private lender. And we'll go into who a private lender is, but just for simplicity's sake, so we, I'm a big picture person. So you still have us as the buyer, we get a loan from a private lender. That lender gives the money to the seller, and we pay that lender back over time, just like a bank. You're going to hear me say that a lot, just like a bank. Okay. So, and, and this is from uh, the other presentation as well. What if funding wasn't a problem, right? That's what we're talking about, and that's what we want everybody, or what I want everybody to truly believe if if funding wasn't an issue, how many units would you buy and what difference would it make in your life? Because that's really why we're doing this. So many of you in your introductions were saying, I want freedom. I want time. I want to live the life that I want, right? And real estate is an amazing vehicle for that. And really the money is made in putting deals together. So we don't have to have money we just have to be able to put deals together. So us as investors, you specifically, all of you here, you and your deal are the prize. So you don't need to go out and feel like you're begging for money from someone to, to buy this house. When you have a good deal and you know how to structure it well or put that deal together, that is the prize. And everything in my business, it really... Um, is centered on this concept from Zig Ziglar. 
You've probably heard it before. I probably say it way too often, but you can get everything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. So in, in this entire conversation, please understand, I am never talking about how to convince somebody to do something or how to um, win over this lender. I am only talking about how to present this great opportunity so that that lender recognizes it's good for them. We are trying to serve them with this great opportunity. And the more people we serve, the more people we help, the bigger our business is going to grow. So um, everything revolves around serving, helping. All right. So my background, I've talked about my background a lot. Paul mentioned it uh, as well. I was a missionary in Kenya. My, my family served there. And we had to raise all of the money for that ministry. So I had no idea how to raise money, um, but this is how I learned these concepts that we're going to talk about tonight. So we had to raise about a half a million dollars for our first four years in the field. And we were going there um, to initially do clean water wells in this desert area. And initially I went out and I talked about the needs. You know, there's a lot of need, there's dirty water, there's um, sick kids. And I talked about what we were going to do. And I thought that was what I needed to focus on. And I really didn't raise very much money. And somewhere along the way, um, I had this realization and I changed my presentation so that they could hear the opportunity better when I would talk to individuals and churches. And I talked to them about the opportunity for them to get involved in ministry in Kenya, right? It had nothing to do with me and talked about the impact their involvement was going to make. So it's casting a vision. And this is super important because it's these same two things, opportunity and impact. That's what I'm going to talk to private lenders about all day long. So taking notes, write down opportunity, write down impact. If you make a presentation to a private lender and you only cover two things, it better be opportunity and impact, okay? So I changed my presentation to churches for ministry to the opportunity for them to be involved in ministry in Kenya and the impact it would have both on their church and in Kenya. And immediately we could raise money very easily and we ended up raising twice as much money as we intend initially planned, and we're able to do a lot more ministry than uh, we planned. So we had child sponsorship program, and really we're able to do a lot of great things. So this slide seems a little out of place, but um, eventually, I think I missed a slide there. Okay. So when I came back from Kenya and our youngest son was born and had health issues and we couldn't return, I was frustrated and I decided I was just going to buy real estate to provide for my family. You know, if you've ever been we're in that situation where your back's against the wall and you just have to do what you have to do, right, to survive. But the weird thing was when I would tell people I'm going into real estate, I'm buying real estate. And I talked about this on November 3rd. I didn't know how to buy real estate. I had no money. Um, I really, my income was going to end because my job was ending, I was totally unbankable. 
So there was financing from a bank was not an option. But when I would talk to people, this is hugely important, over and over they would say, I always wanted to do that. That's great. I watch HGTV, I'd love to be involved. I had a guy message me actually on Facebook today who I can't remember. I probably haven't talked to him in a year or so, but he's like, I have some money and I, I wanna get involved in your deals, okay? People are excited by real estate. And when I realized that, I thought, you know, I can use the same techniques to allow people to be involved in ministry, which I did in ministry, to give people the opportunity to be involved in real estate. And so that's what I did. I uh, gave people who were interested the opportunity to be a lender on my real estate deals. And that was how without, uh, without any income, without credit, I was able to be a buy and hold investor from day one. And we bought our first 25 houses or so, um, all with private lenders before we started adding some seller financing in there. And we got to the mid fifties before we ever got a bank loan. So you can definitely get to your uh, financial freedom without that bank loan. And uh, these are just some of our different businesses now. We have a podcast where we share a lot of information or I speak and interview a lot of people about real estate, a lot of amazing information there. Uh, we have Elevate Mastermind that meets weekly. And so haven't seen Shanetta on here in a while, but Shanetta and I meet every week, which is pretty awesome. And we have an amazing group of people there um, that work together and really grow our businesses and true wealth investors. So, so teaching and encouraging is what I really love to do. Um, real estate is the vehicle to give me the freedom to do it, right? Just like all many of you talked about. Um, I love putting together deals and I like talking to people too. So it's a good fit. Um, here's a couple quick examples. All right, one, and these are just quick examples. They'll probably make more sense after we talk about them. So uh, this was an interest-only deal. I have, uh, we purchased this house, it's in Vandalia for 40,000, the rehab was 20,000. So the investment was 60,000. The ARV after we fixed it up and rented it was 90,000. At the time, we got a loan from a private lender for the full $60,000, um, and that was at 8% interest. It's an interest-only uh, payment, if I remember right, $400 a month. The cash flow was three fifty dollars when we first bought it. So I liked that equity split. We added $30,000 in equity, and we had good cash flow. This property we have refinanced once or twice now, and the last appraisal was I think 135, something like that. So that I love the buy and hold, right? I think I've said before, it pains me to sell anything. I like holding it and seeing those values go up. And I like building equity and then and turning that, converting that equity into other deals, which 
for whoever said they had a couple properties and were looking for how to leverage them to grow private lenders is, I mean, it's a great opportunity. And we can talk about that in more detail as well. Um, here's a, a quick example of a no payment deal. So the purchase price, this was from direct mail. Now the other one was from a bandit sign. Um, purchase price was about 25 and a half thousand. We didn't do much of a rehab, 9,000, because it was going to be a rental. It's in a good rental area. This one's in Trotwood. Um, so our total investment was 35,000. ARV was 85,000. Um, we got a loan from a private lender who had 40,000. That's a very low loan to value. And so we set it up where it was 6% interest. No payment for two years. And so our cash flow was $7.25 a month. And we refinanced that last year. All right. So those are just two quick examples. We'll get into the details. You guys can ask questions as we go or type them in the chat. I got the chat window open. So what is private money? As we talked about, private money is a loan from a private individual. And it's usually money that they have from another investment that they decide to loan to you, right? If, if you're dealing with equity trust or some other retirement account custodian, then it's, it's funding and investment. So whether you were to buy or whether that private lender was to buy stock in Ford Motor Company or buy a note and mortgage with you, it really would be the same thing. All right. So when we look at real estate, usually the difference, I, I categorize lenders in two, um, two parts, two buckets, let's say. So there are professional lenders, banks, credit unions, and hard money lenders, I put in that category. So with professional lenders, that's their business, right? And generally, when you go to a professional lender, you're going to talk about the loan that you're wanting for the deal, and they're going to present their terms. They're going to present their paperwork, right? It's their business. They decide what the terms are. However, with a private lender, the private lender is just comparing different investment options. They don't have a business set up. So when you present this opportunity, you're going to be the one dictating the terms and you're going to be the one presenting uh, the documents. So that's a huge distinction when, when people ask, well, what interest rate do I have to pay? It's really up to you. You're the one dictating the terms. And then uh, this phrase I use constantly when I'm talking to lenders, potential lenders, I'll use the phrase like the bank. So we are giving we are giving these lenders an opportunity to be just like the bank. We know banks have big nice buildings. People inside are super friendly and wear nice clothes and suits and all that. They're doing well, right? And so we are giving people we know the opportunity to have returns just like the bank. They get the returns like the bank and they get the security that a bank gets, okay? And sometimes 
for them to be, if you're talking to a private lender, it may feel a little complicated to them. So just explaining it that they get to be just like the bank is a simplified version for them to know what the role is. <clears throat> okay, so who are private lenders? That's the big question. So many people ask, and private lenders really are anybody. It's just like when I was raising money for ministry, you had no idea until you presented to somebody whether they would support the work or not. Same with private lenders. You have no idea how much this person you're speaking to, how much they have in investments, whether they have an old 401k from a past job, whether they have an inheritance. You really have no idea until you make that pitch or you talk to them. All right. And so it can be anybody. It's anybody who has money in investments already. It's anybody who um, has a retirement account. It, it, they could be nearing retirement. They could be um, really in their 20s and 30s. It's just anybody with money and they're comparing investments and you're giving them an opportunity at a new type of investment. A lot of people right now with the stock market um, being on a record high year after year, a lot of people, if they're not using retirement accounts, which a lot of lenders use retirement accounts, but a lot of people not using retirement accounts want to diversify their investments. So maybe they don't pull all the money out of the stock market, but they'll pull some out. Just so if the stock market does turn or when it turns, um, they have not all of their eggs in one basket. Okay, so why do private lenders lend to us? Maybe you've thought that. If I go talk to this person, why on earth would they lend me the money, right? So there are five ways that it benefits them. And that's the reason they're going to lend to us is because it benefits them. It improves their investment portfolio. And so when we're talking to them, and I mean this 100%, the focus of your conversation should be on them and their investment goals and how in lending to you or investing with you will help them meet their goal. So if you talk to them and it doesn't fit their goal, maybe they, you know, whatever the situation is, we won't get into the details, but if it doesn't fit their goal, then they're not the right lender for you. So you, you don't need to ever do a really big sales tactic to convince them to lend to you. You're just talking to people and finding the ones where it benefits them, which is a very high percentage. All right, so the major benefits for a lender. And in this instance, we're talking about somebody who they have money invested in other areas and they are comparing an investment to you where they're lending you money for a real estate deal to other investments, let's say the stock market, a CD or their cash just sitting in the bank account. So. For most people, they don't want to compare it to the stock market because it's totally different than the stock market. 
So you are comparing your investment to an alternative and other alternatives to the stock market. So if they have money that's not in the stock market, the interest you pay to them is much higher than what they can get elsewhere. A lot of times I talk to lenders and their cash is just sitting in a, in a checking account earning nothing. So it's very exciting for them to get 6%. That's a great deal. Their investment is secured by real estate. And that is huge because you don't get that in many other uh, investment scenarios. So if they invest in Ford Motor Company and Ford Motor Company stock drops, there's no um, investment behind that to secure their principal, right? It just means the price drops and they've lost what they've invested or a portion of it. So they can get monthly income, which for a lot of people nearing retirement, it is hard in other investment strategies to get monthly income to live off of. And for a lot of people nearing retirement, they're talking about, will I outlive my retirement money, which is a horrible uh, thought to have to deal with. So we can structure a deal so that we give them monthly income to live off of and can even structure it so that it's interest that they're living off of, which makes them feel great because they know they're just, they're not killing the goose that's laying the golden eggs, right? It will produce eggs forever. It is a great way for them to diversify their investments. Usually this um, type of investment is totally different than anything they're used to. And it's a very easy way to invest in real estate. So they've been watching HGTV. They've been wanting to get into real estate like the person who messaged me, flipping sounds super exciting and the numbers are crazy, but they don't know how to buy a house. They don't wanna deal with contractors. You know, Real estate involves multiple steps. And so it's few people who are willing to take the time to learn all of those steps. So we give them that opportunity to very simply be involved in real estate. So they can tell their friends they're investing in real estate. All right, so some key things when making the pitch. Um, when you sit down and you talk to a potential private lender, um, the key is in the beginning, you're just gonna start with questions and you're gonna build rapport. So you want to get to know that potential lender and you wanna know what their goals are, right? So that you can know how best to serve them. So. What are your investing goals? What types of investments do you like? What types of investing do you currently do? Um, are you interested in alternative investment for retirement funds? I would ask, you know, I, I tend to ask a whole bunch of open-ended questions. So, and I have found that, that nobody's put off by a lot of questions, right? Because it shows that I care about them and I'm interested in them. And as we talk, I'll share some information about me as well, right? And it's a way for us to get to know each other. So I'll ask about old jobs or their work history. And sometimes in that, it comes up, they have an old retirement account from a past job. Well, usually they don't, they have no idea what that old retirement account's doing. And we can roll that over um, so that they can lend us that money. 
Are you focused on cash flow or just your return on your money? That's a huge one. So in my early years, I thought all these lenders wanted their money back. <laughs> so I would pay them these crazy monthly payments. I would do four-year amortizations, five-year amortizations. I wouldn't make any money really on that deal, but it would give me the money to get to the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. When later down the road, I realized that most of the lenders don't want the money back. They just want to know they're getting a good return. Just like if they bought a stock, they're not going to sell that stock every month, right? And get the money back. They're going to generally leave their money in that stock. And a lot of times, even if they get dividends, they're going to have it set up so it automatically reinvests the dividends. We're going to set it up the same way. We want it to be really easy for them. When they get a return, we'll give them that interest. Or if they don't even want the interest, we can reinvest that interest for them. All right. How many years will it be before you intend to use this money? So totally open-ended questions. Maybe they have some big event in three years. Maybe their daughter is going to get married and they know they need some money or they're going to move, retire and move south or something like that. But a lot of times they don't have a set date. And so we can have that discussion of, you know, do you want to leave it invested for five years and revisit it? Do you want to leave it invested for 15? How best can we help? Okay. And then some key phrases to use. This is uh, just like November 3rd. Um, we're going to use some trial closes. So if I could offer you a good return with your money secured by real estate, are you interested? If they say yes, then we know they understand the concept and, and they're buying into it. If not, then we should ask some other questions, get to know really their goals better. It's good to compare it to the stock market because most people want an alternative to the stock market. So if I could offer you a solid return without the volatility of the stock market, would you be interested? Or usually when I talk to investors like you, um, they want to know what security they have. So that phrase is a really good one to use because one, that underlying portion, it demonstrates you talk to other investors and it demonstrates that other investors you're dealing with, that you're actively doing this, the other investors respond well and they really like it, right? And so your potential investor you're talking to knows that they're not alone. This isn't some, you know, one-off scam or something. This is your business. And, and you know, whether they ask or not, they're worried about what security they have. So you automatically, when you use this phrase, you get to talk about the security that they're going to have. You get to answer their question before they even ask it, which is always good. Or usually other investors like you, um, like the idea of being a passive investor in real estate. So who doesn't like the idea of being a passive investor in real estate? Everybody likes that. That's what we all want, right? We want to have passive cash flow coming in every month. That's what so many of us mentioned in our introductions. And really, that's what we are offering our lenders is passive income coming in every month.
You don't have to do a big sales pitch when you're offering that, right? Okay, so important ways with structuring the loan. And, you know, for tonight, we're not going to get into super details. Um, I'm just going to touch on it. And then you guys ask whatever questions you have. Um, but I don't want to get super detailed and, and get, have people bogged down in the detail. So the, uh, the structure is just like a bank. All right. The vast majority of loans you're going to do going to be just like a bank where that private lender gets a first mortgage. And I would recommend using a title company for the closing, just like if you were using a bank, right? Do everything just like you were using a bank. And they'll have a first mortgage that will be recorded with the county. The difference is there are some situations where your private lender, it's going to benefit them. Let's say you're doing a bunch of flips and you're going in and out of deals every six months. Well, then in that instance, your lender may not want to have a first mortgage because they'll get the first mortgage, you sell the house and their loans paid off. And then you have a new deal, they get a mortgage and they sell, you sell the house and the loan paid off. And it's kind of a headache for them constantly in and out of the new deals over and over. And so in that instance, you can use a promissory note which is tied to you and not a property. And then you can go in and out of multiple deals. And the lender, it's easier for them because they don't have to worry about whether you, what you've bought and what you've sold, they just know they're getting their payment. So, so that is really the documents you're gonna use and how it's the deal is structured. As far as how you structure the payments, there's three main ways you can do the payments. One is amortized, which is how most bank loans are, right? If it's a 30-year amortization, you're gonna pay the same payment every month for 30 years. And over those 30 years, you will pay all of the principal and interest. And you can get that from a, those figures from a financial calculator or book or spreadsheet. But if you have a really long-term um, a lender who lends you money long term, and especially if they want cash flow, um, then amortize is a good way to do it. Thank you, Judith. I appreciate it. So, amortize is a great way to set that up. The other way um, that you can set it up, which is very common, is interest only. So, in an interest only payment, the principal stays in the loan and you pay the interest on that principal every month. Well, that structure is very similar to a stock, right? So it's not super common in real estate, but for a lender who is comparing this investment to a stock, which would pay dividends maybe quarterly, well, that looks very similar. So, and especially if they're using money from a retirement account and they can't use the funds that they receive from this retirement account, they don't really want the principal paid back. In actuality, it hurts their return if the principal gets paid back. So if, if you start paying principal and you're paying, let's say 8% interest 
then in actuality, every month, their return goes down. You're still paying 8% interest, but not on the full principal. So, which not to get, I, I said I wouldn't get too detailed, but um, interest only is a great way to set set up your payments. It improves your cash flow. It's familiar, a familiar concept to your lenders and especially reti for retirement accounts, um, it works very well. And then no payment is a good idea if it's very short term, let's say one year, maybe two years, and your loan to value is very low, um, then you can do no payment where the interest accrues into the loan. Or the no payment works well if you're doing a flip because it's it's really no fun as a borrower to have a loan with a payment on a house that you're not receiving any income from, right? The whole time you're fixing up that house to resell, it's hard to have a payment. So sometimes that'll work with lenders where they don't get a payment, but then at the end, when you sell the house, everything's repaid. So. All right, and so these are the, the examples from the beginning. So they might make a little more sense now. So I got on this deal, I had to invest 60,000. I got a loan for 60,000. And the lender was fine with that because they understood that fixed up, it was 90,000. So they were going to be their loan compared to the value of the house. Um, was well below 80%. All right. Okay, and then this one with the no payment, I really like, so what I like doing is getting a loan for more than I invest. So the loan was 40,000, the investment was 35,000 which meant that I kept 5,000 up front when I bought the house. So I'm sure everybody is going to, it likes that concept, right? I love when you buy a house that you receive money at closing, that's a good deal. And then it was very high cash flow up front, 725 a month. When we refinanced that, uh, I think we replaced it with 15 year amortization. And so it's still good cash flow. But if you look at this example and you think about how I went from my missionary salary, which wasn't much, to full time real estate investor, it was from deals like this, where I made money at closing or on the refinance. And then the cash flow was really high because it was either no payment or interest only. And so I could, as long as I kept adding deals, right? If, the, if this was going to last for two years, as long as I kept replacing this deal with another good deal every two years, and you add up some of these deals, you can get financial freedom fairly quickly. All right. So I think we missed a slide here. Well, making the offer. Okay. And this was the exact 
uh, information I covered for making the offer on November 3rd, but it puts it all together for you. So this is still how I make offers today. Um, I'll make two or three offers, give people options, okay? And so I am going to give them a all cash offer, which when you're talking directly to sellers, usually that's what they want right away. I want that all cash offer. But if we as a buyer are going to pay all cash, usually we expect it to be at a low price. And so if a seller takes the all cash offer, I will use a private lender. If something happens and my private lender falls through, let's say, um, then since it's a low price, I would have, you know, the flexibility to wholesale that deal or because it's, I have the house under contract at such a low price, that gives me flexibility. But then I'll give them a medium price here, medium purchase price, some money down with creative financing or seller financing where they're the bank and will use whatever financing they currently have on the house. If price is, I mean, their number one thing and they're a stickler on it and it's a high price, well, then I'll give them their high price. I've made offers that were 10, 20% above the value of the house. And I really don't care because I'm not going to put much money down and it's going to be a 0% seller financing offer. And the 0% financing I love, I kind of stumbled into it um, just making offers and I, my first one, I basically said, you know, I'll give you this much money and I'll just pay you 300 a month until I pay you off. Well, that's 0%, right? Because I'm just making that $300 a month payment until the principal is paid off. Well, if I have no interest or if we have no interest on the loan, well, then the price can be much higher and we still make much more money. So let's say... You know, I don't, an example might be a $100,000 house on a 30-year amortization at maybe 5%. You probably pay $180,000, $190,000 as a ballpark. Well, if they'll give me 0% creative financing, I'll pay them one twenty dollars for their $100,000 house, right? That's fine with me because I know I'm actually making much more money and they're going to get their high price. And so sometimes that that really works well. But the key is you're giving them multiple offers and they're going to take the offer that best fits them. You want them deciding between which of your offers they want to take versus between taking your one offer and not taking your offer. All right. Okay. Somewhere in here, there was one other slide here. So before we go to Q&A, we'll go to Q&A here in just a second. Um, so this slide kind of sums up the whole process. So if you are wanting to raise private money, when I did six, the six weeks of coaching um, for anybody who bought the course, the whole first week of coaching was on how to constantly self-promote how to make sure everybody you know, everybody in your circle knows that you're a real estate investor and you raise money from private lenders. 
or you, however you want to word that, you give people the opportunity to invest in real estate, right? And so once you do that, you're going to end up with people who say, hey, I'd be interested in hearing more about that, or what is it exactly you do again? And you're going to set up a meeting where, you know, essentially you're going to say, hey, how about we uh, meet in, in 15 minutes, I can share with you what we do, something like that. So then when we meet, we're going to talk to them about their investment goals. I'm going to review our company. I'm going to review the investment process so, so that they have an idea of how this flows and what the big picture is. And if they buy in and are somewhat interested, then I'll review available investments for them. If I don't have available investments, then I'm just going to talk to them about how much they have to lend or how much they're interested in lending that first time. All right. And then if, if they say I have 80,000, I'm interested in lending, then you know that you can go get a house either for 80,000 or 80,000 purchase and rehab, right? Because we don't want any of our own money in the deal. And then I'm going to preview the investor folder with them. So it's always good to leave information with them, which is just this information you've already covered. But a lot of times they're not going to say, while you're sitting there with them, yes, do I write the check now? Usually it takes a little bit of time. Um, and so I like to leave information with them so that they can review it. And then we'll follow up with them. So in that meeting by asking when I should contact them to see if it is something they're interested in. And then we'll, when they're ready to finalize the investment, we'll sign the documents. They'll fund the investment. So they write the check. If this is at a title company, then the title company, they sign the documents at the closing and they the lender wires the money to the title company. And then the documents are recorded at the county recorder's office and they receive a stamped copy. And then on an ongoing basis, they're gonna receive their monthly check and they're gonna receive annual reports. So, and you know, that I try to make everything easy for them. So they're going to re receive a report on our business, their investment, and I'm going to provide their 1099. So by a 1099 as the lender, they should provide it to us, but I'm going to make it super easy for them and give it to them. All right. So that is the uh, big picture here. What are some questions or comments or, or anything you have for me that you would like uh, to talk about or like me to clarify? Feel free to type it in the chat, unmute yourself, whatever uh, is easier. Chad, this is Monica. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned that you were a missionary and you, had your, your, you watched your family have to um, receive money from other people. Who was your mentor? Who taught you how to do what you're doing now? Um, so it was, so nobody trained us to raise money for ministry. That was through trial and error. Um, my parents had some, had rentals. And so I was familiar with the concept of real estate, but I really had no idea 
how to fund it. Um, and I just married the two together, what I learned raising money for missions with, um, with my vision really for what I wanted to do with real estate. It was really through trial and error. It would be a lot easier if somebody had shown me what to do, right? Um, trial and error is a really hard, long process. So, but yeah, thank you for that question, Monica. Chad, this is Shanetta. Quick question. Yeah. Is there a third party that you use to send um, distributions to your investors for their monthly or quarterly checks? No, I, uh, so from the beginning, I just set it up. So it was like an auto pay with my bank. So there's no third party. Um, some of my uh, lenders at this point, they're, you know, they have like their house up here and their house in Florida. And so I, they prefer just direct deposit into their account so they don't have to deal with a paper check. Um, that okay. I just do through Appfolio, which are is our property management so, uh, software. So it's directly from us. Thank you. Yeah. So there was a question on here by Judith. How does interest only work? So it, interest only is just simple interest. Um, if you have a, a loan for $100,000 and you're paying 6%, then you're going to pay $6,000 in interest over that year. So you divide that by 12 and you're just going to pay them that interest on their principal each month and the loan will stay at $100,000 for as long as you keep the loan. That's how um, interest only works. And that's a real simple calculation, simple interest. Sean, were you saying something or did you have a question? No, I I just, uh, sometime during this session, before we end, I want you to give me about two to three minutes to talk about GDRIA. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Paul asked, how do you structure interest only lending so you're not paying interest since the principal isn't going down? Oh, so you're not paying interest forever. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if the the seller or lender doesn't want the principal back, do you include a clause that requires you to pay interest for an amount of time to ensure they get the return they want? So when you when when they get a first mortgage, okay, which is what we want to offer them because it gives them the most security, the mortgage is for which is recorded shows the amount that they've loaned us, and then the the mortgage note shows how we're going to repay them. And so if it's interest only and they're just going to get an interest payment and it's kind of, you know, if, if we don't put an end date, that could go forever because they will never get that principal back. And so we'll put a balloon in there. So let's say it's going to be interest only for five years, um, which is what we do with a lot of people. And then in that fourth year, um, I've got a year before that balloons due. then I'll touch base with them and say, Hey, are you happy with your investment? Do you want to just continue that, you know, bump out that balloon date, or do you want to change anything? And nine times out of 10, 
that's just like a good date for them to review their investment. And then they bump that we'll modify that note and bump that balloon down, you know, another five years. So, but yeah, that's a good question. Um, and always, uh, I think it's part of the other one. So if you're dealing with lenders and they're comparing it to other investments, right? A lot of times they don't really need that money each month, but what they need, just like if they were investing in a stock, what they need to know is the return they're getting. So if they know that they're getting, let's say 7%, well, for us as a real estate investor, 7% is not that, I mean, that's not that big a deal, but for them comparing that to a CD, that's a great return. All right. And if you listen, are listening right now and you're saying, what, why would I pay 7%? Well, I know plenty of investors who will gladly pay 10% all day long because it's so easy with private money to get in and out of deals. So if you can raise money from a private lender at 7%, um, it's well worth it just because you can get it in and out of deals very quickly. Uh, let's see. Can you explain wraparound mortgage and how that relates to seller financing? So a wraparound mortgage is where you agree to pay, let's say the seller, they have uh, some equity in the house, but they don't have their house paid off. Let's say it's a $100,000 house and they owe $50,000, right? They're not going to just give you that equity, but you don't want to have to pay off the first mortgage either. So maybe you're going to buy the house for 80,000 and you're going to make a payment um, on that 80,000 at we'll say 5% interest. But you make that payment as one payment to the bank for their first mortgage and one payment to them for the additional 30,000 in principal. So that's essentially a wrap mortgage. And uh so the, the word the word wrap comes from where you wrap your mortgage around the existing mortgage. That's how the word came up. Wrap mortgage, you wrap it around it. Yeah. So the eighty thousand wraps around it wraps around the fifty thousand, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then Brian asked, I heard you mention direct mail. What are some of the other ways you find deals? Do you use pre foreclosure lists from the courthouse? So me personally, um, over the years, I have done all kinds of different ways. I've done um, direct mail and postcards and texting, batch texting and bandit signs and truck signs. And I even for probably two years, anytime somebody working on one of our houses wasn't sure what to do, there was a big stack of flyers on the mantle and they would go door to door and just put a flyer in the front door. So any way to get, get it out there. Um, over time, the effectiveness of each method changes if you're trying to do large scale. So for a long time, direct mail was the best. Then it went to... Um, then I went to texting, then I went to cold calling, and now um, a recent call I was on, it, direct mail is starting to hit again and, and do better. Um, pre foreclosure list I've never used, but 
it's a good list. You have uh, somebody who definitely is in need and is motivated. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely, you know, there's a bunch of lists that you can buy. Basically, you're just trying to find a motivated seller or someone who has a real reason that they need to sell the house. And then you're going to help them through that process. And so it can, I mean, it could be pre-foreclosure. It could be probate where they've inherited it. It could be a divorce where they're moving and they need to sell the house. You talk to bankruptcy attorneys. I mean, there's, there are people everywhere in a problem situation. They need to sell their house and you can help them. So I hope that helps. Um, what did my flyers say that I had the handyman hand out? I've tried all different things for a long time. I had like a long, so I'm big on authenticity. So um, one that I did for a long time, it was like a story of who I was and why I wanted to buy houses. Um, and if you've heard me talk about the farm um, that we recently bought, that the letter I used was similar to that old flyer because it talked about me and my children and um, how I want to raise them with shared experiences in the outdoors. And all it was was a way for them to get to know me, right? It's like building rapport through a letter. So, you know, our postcards were more along the lines of we buy houses, ugly houses, like you said. Uh, let's see, Paul, for the first timer who doesn't have experience crafting deals, what would your team look like to make sure the deal is structurally sound to make the seller confident moving forward? That is a really good question. So um, is this, uh, Paul, is this a, are you talking about a seller or a lender or both? Yeah, I realize as you asked that I'm talking more about the seller. Um, if so, if the seller is wanting to know where your money's coming from, but I guess if you were just doing a private money lending, you'd have the cash on you anyway. But just wondering, like, how you do that legally to make sure that you're not uh, stepping on any, like, yeah, just when you don't have a team and don't know who to contact, how would you make sure that the documents you're drafting up are are on par? So. <clears throat> I guess, you know, a couple of different things with that question. That's a really good question. Um, usually the seller, when you're dealing directly with the seller, they want to know they're going to get their money and they don't really care about the documents or the structure behind it. And that's if if you're using a private lender or if they're, they're the financier, right? So even if it's seller financing, I will talk to them about how much I'm going to pay them a month and whether there's interest and things like that. But we don't need to go into whether it's a wrap mortgage or a land contract or subject to because they don't care. And that's confusing. Right. So they just want to know when they're going to get their money and and how it's going to be kind of just big picture set up. And then when I take it to the title company. Either I'll tell them, or if I don't really know, um, I've had it before where I take it and the, they have their attorney review it. So they can help you out. As long as you can get the big picture and you can write it out, which I still do, handwrite it on the purchase contract with the seller, super simple. Then the rest, 
will fall into place. Um, you know, with uh, with a private lender, I've never um, had them ask a lot of questions up front, but I always have them review it beforehand, review the actual documents. So it's a it's a good idea to have a copy of what that first mortgage is going to look like, what that mortgage note's going to look like. So if you're going to go the private lender route, you can have um, an attorney draw one up. So it's not that expensive and well worth it. If, if you know you're going to do it, I just bite the bullet and do it. So, but yeah. Let me add something to Paul's question. Yeah. Uh, Paul, if you're proceeding towards the seller financing, and especially if it's a wrap around a mortgage they already have, you have to be very careful and making sure the insurance stays in the name of the seller. Because if you take the insurance out of seller's name, the insurance company will notify the bank and the bank will call the note due. So one of the red flags is keep the insurance in their name, but you pay for it in your, in your payment, along with your taxes and insurance. But one thing I'm gonna make sure that you have to have some kind of proof every month, every other month, or every quarter, they're giving you paid receipts to the financial institutions. And one thing I got to make sure that normally it's wraparound or land contract, whatever you call it, make sure it's recorded in the county. That way, if they quit making the payments, you'll also be notified. That's what used to happen with the land bank, land contract for ages. Sellers and the buyers will draft the land contract. The seller will just put it in its, um, you know, chest of drawers. And he will, if they quit making the payments, buyer had no idea until the foreclosure notice comes in to their door, because the uh, banks have to serve, or the the legal department has to serve the address of the property, no matter where the seller lived. They still have to serve at the at the door. And that's the first time uh, the buyers would find out that the seller is not making the payments. So you just take some precautions. Always use the title company. They can direct you in the right direction. Okay? Yeah, definitely. And I would, I mean, 100% record any, any documents. I had a deal recently where the seller was from out of state. In his state, contract for deed, it's not common to record them. So he didn't want to record the land contract on the property in Ohio. But for me, that was a non-negotiable part of the deal. Land contract has to be recorded. So that's the only way it's public record. So which your title company will say the same thing. All right. And then uh, let's see. Good idea to have your private lender before you get your deal. Chicken or the egg there. Um, whether you should have your private lender first or your deal first. I would, honestly, I would constantly self-promote, tell everybody you're buying real estate and you give them the opportunity to be involved in your deals. And I would constantly be looking for deals. And whichever one you hit first is great. Um, I, I wouldn't worry about getting one before the other. Just keep moving forward on both fronts. and. 
let's see here, Paul, if, if uh, investors want to do a promissory note, not a first mortgage, what's their security? That's, that's the tricky part, right? So if they have a first mortgage, obviously they can foreclose on the house um, and they can take the property. If it's a promissory note, especially if it's a promissory note in your personal name, <coughs> excuse me, then technically they, they can file a judgment against you and take anything. So if you do have assets, for some lenders, that's they like that better, you know, um, because they they know that Maybe if I get in a bad situation, I might let go of a rental, but I'm probably not going to let go of my house, right? So um, some lenders like the promissory note better. But if if you don't have other assets that really are secured by a promissory note or other accounts or anything, then yeah, it's just, um, then it would just come down to reputation. It is a promise, right? That's the nature of that note. So... So in that instance, it would be good to either have a record of lending with them. Maybe you do the first mortgage through three flips and then they're like, yeah, well, I, I know you know what you're doing. And then you switch to the promissory note or a lot of my lenders, you know, we started with one and then they keep adding um, other deals, additional deals along the way. So start with one and then do whatever is best for them to feel secure. And then it, it can change over time. So yeah, glad to help Paul. All right. Anybody else feel free to unmute type in the chat, whatever you're most comfortable with. Um, I appreciate all these questions. This is awesome. So uh, let's see. Where you keep hearing that real estate properties are low in inventory. So will a new investor have a chance at succeeding in real estate? It can be a little discouraging when you're new in the business. I will tell you this as an encouragement. There is always a hard part of investing. So right now it is hard to find the deal, right? Inventory is low. That will change. But another day, it will be hard to sell a property. Right now, it's really easy to rent properties. There are a lot of qualified tenants. At another point, it's going to be really hard to find qualified tenants for a rental. Right now, it's really easy to raise private money. At another point, it's going to be hard to raise private money. I mean, there's always an obstacle and there's always a hurdle. And so it's up to us to say, here's the obstacle that I have to get over if I'm going to to achieve the goals that I want, create the vision for my life that I want, whatever that obstacle is. So right now it's inventory and finding deals. Let's commit to overcoming that obstacle and getting the job done. You can do it. New investor, I know you can do it. There's always a, a hurdle whenever you get in. So, all right. I appreciate everybody. Oh, don't um, forget. I, I got, I need two minutes, three minutes. Yes, I know. I, <laughs> before, before everybody jumps off. <laughs> okay. Um, appreciate everybody. Um, before we totally wrap it up here, um, I'll give, I'll pass the mic to Sean uh, to talk about GD Rio. Shoot, Sean. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate it. That was a good talk. 
for folks that are not familiar with the Jiriria, I just want to let you know the benefits and the cost of belonging to Jiriria. Uh, the cost to a single member, uh, non-commercial member is $197. If you want to bring along uh, your family member, it's $50 more. And there's no start date. With the start due date, it goes a year from there. And what you get for that, you have five networking meetings each month. One, The main meeting is on first Wednesday, then followed by a cash flow game on the first Saturday morning. Then you have second Wednesday dinner and deal. Then you get Chad on working without banks, or buying without banks. Then you got this third Saturday morning uh, breakfast meeting. Then you have the Springfield group. So essentially you get about 60 gatherings every year. This is probably the most economical uh, uh, decision of becoming, learning everything you need to know about investing in real estate. Uh, three ways you do that. One is attend the main meetings where we bring in local, regional, and national speakers on different topics. Second thing, attend as many networking meetings as possible. And there are usually about 10 to 15 people in a networking group. Here you'll have a very small gathering so you can ask your questions. And the good thing about our members, I know it because I've been a member 30 years. If you ask a question, they will come out very openly and share their experiences with you. The advantage of doing networking with the people that have already been doing it for years and they made all the mistakes they, you know, and then you don't have to make uh, the same mistakes. So they share their experience, good, bad, and ugly. That's how you get better. I learned 90% of what I know just being a member of the group and volunteering my time. And we are one of the 13 RIAs in Ohio. And if you don't know, if you become a member of any one RIA, you can go to any other RIA meetings for free. And once a year, Ohio RIA arranges a national conference uh, in Cincinnati. Lately, it's been Cincinnati for the last five, six years. And we just finished that about two weeks ago. We had about 700 people from 20 different states with about 28 different speakers on so many topics. And if you did not attend one, make sure you attend one next year. And if you do attend these meetings, you get what's called uh, credits for attending these meetings in different areas of real estate. Once you finish 62 hours of education in the required areas, you will be given what's called the OPHP certification, Ohio Housing Ohio professional housing providers. Once you get that certification, you don't pay for these conferences anymore. It's free for you for life, as long as you're a member of RIA. That's all I wanted to tell, let you about it. If you have any questions, uh, you can ask away. I'd be more than glad to answer. Thank you. And again, that will be the best decision you ever make. And you can thank me later. And I made that decision 30 years ago. I never regretted it one day. Okay. Any questions on GDV itself? Anybody? 
Oh, Sham, also tell them that you um, helped us like for the hour, cons what is it called? The consultation? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I put it on the chat already. Okay. If someone wants to sit down with me for an hour at no cost, no obligation, only thing I want you is bring questions. I'll sit down with you, look at your goals, your aspirations, your strengths, and your weaknesses, and your goals as to what you want to be five years from now. So we can design a path for you to get there. Again, you don't always need money, your money, to buy real estate. It needs money, but it's somebody else's money. That's where the private lenders, the chat is trying to explain to us. There's so many ways to skin a cat. Okay? Yeah. Anybody else? <laughs> has a question here. Let me just read the chat. Is there anything in the chat? Chat? No, Gita said she'd like to contact you. Oh yeah, I, my phone number is on my screen and also on the in the chat. Again, we want GDDA members to be successful, to do the business legally and ethically, but profitably. And we do everything we can legislatively so that the, the legislators won't pass the laws that will hurt us. We got a big lobby. Uh, we collected, I don't know if attention. We collected almost $25,000 during the conference for PAC. Awesome. <laughs> it is good. Back to you, Chad. All right. Well, appreciate everybody. Thanks for coming on. Um, every month third monday of the month uh we'll have the meeting so next month we'll be talking about uh, kind of reviewing what's happened in the last year and making plans for moving forward and uh, celebrating our blessings right we're getting to that time of year so yep all right, right appreciate everybody have a great evening Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.